Bhagwan. Genshya complained to his followers one day, other masters are always carrying on about the necessity of saving everyone. But suppose you meet up with someone who is deaf, dumb and blind. He couldn't see your gestures, hear your preaching or, for that matter, ask questions. Unable to save him, you'd prove yourself a worthless Buddhist. Troubled by these words, one of Genshu's disciples went to consult the master Unman, who, like Genshu, was a disciple of Sipo. Bow, please, said Unman. The monk, though taken by surprise, obeyed the master's command, then straightened up in expectation of having his query answered. But instead of an answer, he got a staff thrust at him. He leapt back. Well, said Unman, you're not blind. Now approach. The monk did as he was bidden. Good, said Unman, you're not deaf either. Well, understand? Understand what, sir, said the monk. Ah, you're not dumb either, said Unman. On hearing these words, the monk awoke as from a deep sleep. Jesus he used to say to his disciples, and not only once, but many times, that if you have eyes, look. If you have ears, then hear me. They had eyes just like you. And they had ears just like you. Then Jesus must have meant something else. Not these ears. Not these eyes. There is a different way of seeing the world. And a different way of hearing. A different way of being. And when you have that different quality of seeing, God is seen. When you have that different way of hearing, God is heard. And when you have that different quality of being, you become God yourself. As you are, you are deep, dumb, blind, almost dead, deaf to God, dumb to God, blind to God, dead to God. Nisse has declared that God is dead. In fact, when you are dead, how God can be alive to you? God is dead because you are dead. You can know God only when you live 
abundantly when your life becomes overflowing when it is a flood in that overflowing moment of bliss life and vitality for the first time you know what god is because god is the most luxurious overflowing phenomena god is not a necessity in this world scientific laws are a necessity without them the world cannot be god is not a necessity that way without him the world can be but will be worthless without him you can exist but your existence will be just a vegetable existence without him you can vegetate you cannot be really alive god is not a necessity you can be there but your being there will not be of any meaning it will not carry any meaning at all it will have no poetry it will have no song it will have no dance to it it will not be a mystery it may be a arithmetic it may be a business but it cannot be a love affair without god all that is beautiful disappears because the beautiful comes only as a overflowing it is a luxury watch a tree if you have not watered it well if the tree is not getting nourishment from the soil the tree can exist but flowers will not come existence will be there but futile it would have been better not to be because it will be a constant frustration flowers come to the tree only when tree has so much that it can share and the tree has so much nourishment that it can flower flowering is a luxury the tree has so much that it can afford and i tell you the god is the most luxurious thing in the world god is not necessary you can live without him you can live very well but you will miss something you will feel a emptiness in the heart you will be more like a wound than like a alive force you will suffer there cannot be any ecstasy in your life but how to find this meaning ecstasy you will need a different way to look right now you are blind of course you can see the matter but matter is a necessity you can see the tree very well but you miss the flowers 
And even if you can see the flowers, you miss the fragrance. Your eyes can see only the surface. You miss the center, the very core. Hence Jesus goes on saying that you are a blind man. You are deaf. And you have to be dumb. Because if you have not seen him, what is there to speak? If you have not heard him, what is there to convey and communicate? If that poetry has not happened, what is there to sing? You may make gestures from your mouth, but nothing will come out of it because nothing is there in the first place. When a man like Jesus speaks, he is possessed. Something greater than him speaks through him. When a man like Buddha speaks, he is not Gautam Siddhartha who was born, a son to a king. No, he is no more that. He is no more the body you can see and touch. He is not even the mind that you can comprehend and understand. Something of the beyond has entered. Something which is not of time and space has come into time and space. A miracle has happened. He is not speaking to you. He is just a vehicle. Something else is flowing through him. He is just a medium. He carries you something from the unknown soul. Only then you can sing when ecstasy has happened. Otherwise you can go on singing. It will be superficial. You may make much noise. But noise is not a speaking. You may use many words but they will be empty. You may talk too much, but in fact, how can you talk? When it happened to Muhammad, the first day, when he came in contact with the Divine, he fell on the ground. He started shivering and shaking and perspiring. And the morning was as cold as this morning. And he was alone. And from the very pore of his souls, he started perspiring. He was afraid. Something unknown has touched him. He was scared to death. He came running to his home. Went to the bed. The wife was very much afraid. Many blankets were put on him, but still he continued shivering. Then the wife asked, what has happened? Your eyes look dazed. And why don't you speak? Why you have gone dumb? And Muhammad is reported to have said that for the first time something is there to speak. Up to now I have been a dumb man. There was nothing to speak. I was making gestures from the mouth. I was talking. 
only my lips were moving but nothing was to say. Now something I have to say, that's why so much trembling. I am pregnant with the unknown, with the divine. Something is going to take birth and this is a suffering as every mother knows. If you have to give birth to a child, you have to pass through many painful days. And when the birth happens, much suffering. When the life enters, it is a struggle. For three days it is said, Muhammad remained in his bed, absolutely dumb. Then by and by, as if a small child starts talking, he started talking. And then the Quran was born. You are dumb. You may be talking to many things. And remember, you talk too much just to hide that dumbness. You talk not to communicate. You talk just to hide. To hide the fact that you are dumb. Next time you start talking with someone, watch why you are talking. Why you are so verbal. What is the need? And suddenly you will become aware that if I remain quiet, the other will think, you are you dumb? Just to hide the fact. And you know there is nothing to say. And you go and say, I was staying in a family and I was sitting with the man of the house, my host, and the son came a small child, and he asked his father that uh, would he answer a few questions. The father said that I am engaged. You go and ask your mother. The child said, but I don't want to know that much. Because if she starts talking, there is no end to it. And I have to do my homework. And I don't want to know that much. People go on talking and talking and talking and without knowing why they are talking, for what, what is there to convey, but just to hide their dumbness. People go on moving from here to there, from this town to that, they go on for traveling and for holidays to the Himalayas and to Switzerland. Why this so much traveling, moving? They want to feel they are alive. Movement is not life. Of course life has a very deep movement. But movement is not life. You can go on moving from one town to another and you can cover the whole earth. That movement is not life. Life is, of course, the very subtle movement. The movement from one state of consciousness to another. When people get stuck, they start moving outwardly. Now, the American has become the, the bona fide traveler. He travels all over the world 
from this corner to that. Because American consciousness is stuck somewhere so badly that if you remain in one place you will feel you have gone dead. So move. Move from one wife to another, move from one job to another, move from one neighborhood to another, move from one town to another. Never in the history of man it has happened. In America, the average time for a person to stay in a town is three years. People move on within three years and this is just the average. There are people who are moving every month. They go on changing dresses, cars, houses, wife, husband, everything. I have heard once one Hollywood actress was introducing his child to a new husband and she said, now meet your new father. The child said, hello, I'm happy. Would you like to give your signature in my visitor's book? Because he has met so many new fathers. Everything has to be changed just to feel that you are alive. A hectic search for life. Of course, life is a movement but not from one place to another. It is a movement from one state to another. It is a deep inward movement from one consciousness to another consciousness to the higher realms of being. Otherwise you are dead. As you are, you are dead. Hence Jesus goes on saying, listen if you have ears. See if you have eyes. This has to be understood first. Then this story will become easier. Then the second thing, why you are so dead, why you are so dumb, blind, deaf, there must be something, there must be some, some investment in it, otherwise so many people, millions of them, cannot be in such a state. It must be paying you something. You must be getting something out of it. Otherwise, how it is possible that Buddhas and Krishnas and Christ go on saying, then don't be blind, don't be deaf, don't be dumb, don't be dead, be alive, be alert, awake, and nobody listens to them. Even if they appeal intellectually, you never listen to them. Even if you feel in certain sublime moments of life that they are right, you never follow them. Even sometimes you decide to follow, you always postpone it for tomorrow. And then tomorrow never comes. What is deep investment in it? Just the other night I was talking to a friend. 
is very educated man, culture, has moved all over the world, has lived in the Soviet Union and the UK and the United States, has been to China and this and that. Listening to him, I felt he is completely dead. And then he asked me, that what solution you will suggest? Because life has so many sufferings and miseries, so many injustices, so many things you feel hurt. How to live life so that you don't feel hurt? So that life cannot create so many wounds in your being. What to do? So I told him there are two ways. One is, which is easier, but at a very great cost, and that is to become dead. To become as insensitive as possible. Because if you are insensitive, if you grow a thick skin around you, a armor, you don't bother much, nobody can hurt you. Somebody insults and you have such a thick skin, it never enters. There is injustice. You simply never become aware of it. This is the mechanism of your deadness. If you are more sensitive, you will be hurt more. Then every small thing will become a pain, a misery. And it will be impossible to live. And one has to live. And there are problems. And there are millions of people. There is violence all around. There is misery all around. You pass through the street and beggars are there. You have to be insensitive, otherwise it will become a misery, a heavy weight on you. Why these beggars? What they have done to suffer this? And somehow deep down you will feel that I am also responsible. You simply pass from the beggar as if you are deaf, dumb, blind. You don't look. Have you ever looked at a beggar? You may have seen a beggar, but you have never looked at a beggar. You have never encountered. You have never sat with him. You have never taken his hand in your hand. It will be too much so open, there is danger. And you have to think about your wife, not about this beggar. And you have to think about your children. And you are not concerned. So whenever there is a beggar, see, your speed increases. You walk faster. You don't look that side. 
if you really look at a beggar, you will feel the whole injustice of life. You will feel the whole misery. And it will be too much. It will be impossible to tolerate it. You will have to do something and what you can do, you feel so helpless. And you have your own problems. And you have to solve them. You see a dying man. What you can do? You see a crippled child. What can you do? Just the other day, one sannyasin came to me and he said, he is very much disturbed. Because on the road when he was passing, a truck almost killed a dog. The dog was already not in shape. Two legs must have been crushed before. Only with two legs the dog was trying to live. And then this truck again crushed him. The sannyasi took pity, felt compassion. He took the dog in his hands and then he saw there is a hole on the back. And millions of worms. He wanted to help, but how to help? And he became so disturbed that he couldn't sleep. And nightmares. And continuously the dog was hunting that I have not done something. I have to do something. But what to do? Even the idea came to his mind to kill the dog. Because that is the only thing that can be done now. With so many worms, maggots, the dog cannot live. And the life will be a misery. So it is better to kill. But to kill? Will not it be violence? Will not it be murder? Will not it be a karma? So what to do? You cannot help. Then the best way is to be insensitive. There are dogs and there are trucks and things go on happening. You go on your way, you don't look around. It is dangerous to look. So you never use your eyes 100%. Scientists say only 2%. 98% you close your eyes. 98% you close your ears. You don't listen to everything that is happening all around. 98% you don't live. Have you ever observed you always feel fear whenever you are in a love relationship or whenever love stays, suddenly a fear takes over. Because whenever you love a person, you surrender to the person. And surrendering to a person is dangerous because the other may hurt you. Your protection is down. You don't have any armor. Whenever you love, you are open and vulnerable. And who knows how to believe in the other because the other is a stranger. You may have known the other for many years, but that makes no difference. You don't know even yourself. How can you know the other? 
the other is a stranger. And to allow the other to enter in your intimate life means to allow him to hurt you. People have become afraid of love. It is better to go to a prostitute than to have a, a beloved. It is better to have a wife than to have a beloved. Because wife is an institution. The wife cannot hurt you more because you never loved her. It was arranged. Your father and mother and the astrologer and everybody were involved except you. It is an arrangement, a social arrangement. Much is not involved. You take care. You arrange for her food and the shelters. She takes care. She arranges the house, the food, the children she looks after. It is an arrangement. A business-like thing. Love is dangerous. It is not a business. It is not a bargain. You give power to the other person in love. Complete power over you. The fears. The other is a stranger and who knows. Whenever you trust anybody, fear grips. People come to me and they say, we surrender to you, but I know they cannot. It is almost impossible. They have never loved. How can they surrender? They are saying without knowing what they are saying. They are almost asleep. They are talking in their sleep. They don't mean it. Because surrender means if I say, you go on top of the hill and jump. You cannot say no. Surrender means total power has been given to the other. How can you give? Surrender is just like love. That's why I say only lovers can become sannyasins because they know a little of how to surrender. Love is the first step towards the divine. Surrender is the last. And two steps is the whole journey. But you are afraid. You would like to have your own control on your life. Not only that, you would like to control the other's life also. Hence the continuous quarrel between husbands and wives and lovers. Constant quarrel. Conflict. And what is the conflict? The conflict, who will dominate whom? Who will possess whom? It has to be settled first. It is not a surrender but a domination. Just the opposite. Whenever you dominate a person, there is no fear. Whenever you love a person, there is fear. Because in love, you surrender. 
and you give total power to the other. Now the other can hurt, the other can reject, the other can say no. That's why you live only two percent, not hundred percent. Ninety-eight percent you are dead, insensitive. And insensitivity, deadness is very much respected by the society. More you are insensitive, the more society will respect you. It is said, it happened in Lokman Tilak's life, one of the great Indian leaders, he lived in Pune, just this town. And before Gandhi took over and dominated the scene, he was the topmost man in India. It is said about him that he was a man of discipline. And men of discipline are always dead, because discipline is nothing but how to deaden yourself. His wife died, and he was sitting in his office, where he published a newspaper, Kesari, it is still published. Somebody reported that your wife has died. Come home. Listening to this, he looked at the clock at the back and he said, but this is not time. I'll leave my office only at five. Just look at the whole thing. What type of intimacy? What type of love? What type of caring and sharing was there? This man cares about his work. This man cares about time but not about love. It seems almost impossible when somebody says your wife is dead to look at the clock. And then to say that this is not time and I leave my office only at five. And the wonder of wonder is that all his biographers appreciate this incident very much. They say this is devotion to the country. This is how a disciplined man should be. They think this is non-attachment. This is not non-attachment. This is not devotion to anything. This is simply deadness, a insensitivity. And one who is insensitive towards his wife, how can he be sensitive to the whole country? Impossible. Remember, if you cannot love a person, you cannot love humanity. That may be a trick. Those who cannot love persons, because it is very dangerous to love a person, they always think they love humanity. Where is humanity? Can you find it anywhere? It is just a word. Humanity exists nowhere. 
wherever you will go you will find a person existing life is person not humanity life is always personified it exists as an individual society country humanity are just words where is society where is the country the motherland you cannot love a mother and you love a motherland you must be deceiving somewhere but the word is good beautiful motherland you need not bother about the motherland because the motherland is not a person it is a fiction in your mind it is your own ego you can love humanity you can love the motherland you can love society and you are not capable of loving a person because person creates difficulties society will never create a difficulty because it is just a word you need not surrender to it you can dominate the word the fiction but you cannot dominate a person even a small child is impossible you cannot dominate because he has his own ego he has his own mind he has his own ways it is almost impossible to dominate life but words can be easily dominated because you are alone there people who cannot love a person start loving god they don't know what they are doing to talk to a person to communicate to a person is a difficult matter it needs a skill it needs a very loving heart it needs a very knowing heart understanding heart only then you can touch a person because to touch a person is to move in a dangerous arena because life is throbbing there also and each person is so unique you cannot be mechanical about it you have to be very alert and watchful you have to become more sensitive if you love a person only then understanding arises but to love a god somewhere who is sitting in the sky it is a monologue go to the churches people are talking to no one they are as crazy as you will find people in the mad houses but that madness is accepted by the society and this madness not accepted that's the only difference go to a mad house you will find people talking alone nobody is there they talk not only they say something they answer also they make it look like a dialogue it is a monologue then go to the churches and the temples there people are talking to god that too is a monologue and if they really go mad they start doing both things they say something and they answer also and they feel that god has answered 
cannot do that unless you have learned how to love a person. If you love a person, by and by the person becomes the door of the whole. But one has to start with the person, with the small, with the atomic. You cannot take the jump. The Ganges cannot simply jump into the ocean. It has to start in the Gang Gangotri, just a small stream. Then wider and wider and bigger and bigger it goes. And then finally it merges with the ocean. The Ganga, the Ganges of love has also to start just like a small stream with persons. Then it goes on becoming bigger and bigger. Once you know the beauty of it, the beauty of surrender, the beauty of insecurity, the beauty of being open to all that life gives, bliss and suffering both. Then you get bigger and bigger and bigger and expand. When the consciousness becomes finally a ocean, then you fall into the God, into divine. But because of fear, you create insensitivity. And the society respects it. Because society does not want you to be very alive. Because alive people are rebellious. Look at a small child. If he's really alive, he will be rebellious. He will try to have his own way. And if he's a dumb, imbecile, idiot, somehow stuck somewhere and not growing, he will sit in the corner, perfectly obedient. You tell him to go, he goes. You tell him to come, he comes. You tell him to sit down, he sits. You tell him to stand, he stands. He is perfectly obedient because he has no personality of his own. The society, the family, the parents will like this child. They will say, look, is so obedient. I heard it once. Mulana Suddin was talking to his son. He has come with the with a report card from the school. Mullah was expecting that he will receive A and he has received D. In fact, he was the last in the class. So Nasuddin said, look, you never obey me. Whatsoever I say, you disobey. Now this has resulted. And look at the neighbor's child. He always receives A. He stands always first in the class. The child looked at Nasuddin and said, but that's a different matter. He has got talented parents.
but this child is very alive. But he has his own ways. Obedience has a certain dullness about it. Disobedience a sharp intelligence about it. But obedience is respected. Because obedience gives less inconvenience. Of course, that's right. Disobedience creates inconvenience. You would like a dead child because he will not create any inconvenience. You will not like a alive child. Aliver, more dangerous there. Parents, society, schools, they all force obedience. They dull you. And then they respect those people. That's why you never see people who stand first in schools, universities. In life they are simply last. You never find them in life where they go. They prove themselves very talented in their school. But somehow in life they are last. It seems the ways of the school are different from the ways of life. Somehow, life loves lovelier people, more livelier, rebellious people with their own consciousness, being and personality. People who have their own ways to fulfill. People who are not dead, schools prefer just the opposite. The whole society helps you to become dumb, deaf, blind, dead. In the monasteries, you will find dead people worshipped as saints. Go to Banaras, you will find people lying down on a bed of thorns, nails, and they are worshipped like gods. And what they have achieved? If you look at their faces, you will not find more stupid faces everywhere, anywhere. A person lying on a bed of nails or thorns has to be stupid. In the first place to choose this way of life, one has to be stupid. And then what he will do, what he can do by lying on the nails, he has to make his whole body insensitive. That's the only way. He has not to feel it. By and by he becomes a thicker skin. Then it doesn't matter. Then he becomes a rock, completely dead. And the whole Sutasi worships. He is a sage. He has attained something. What he has attained? He has attained more deadness than you. Now, the nails does not matter because the body has become dead. And you may not be knowing. Then you ask physiologists, they say already 
in the body there are many spots which are not alive they call them dead spots on your back there are many dead spots just give a needle to some of your friend or your wife or your husband and tell him to push the needle on your back on many spots you will feel few spots and you will not feel few few spots are already dead so when the needle is pushed you don't feel it those people they have done one thing they have made their whole body a dead spot but this is not growing this is regression they are becoming more material than diviners because to be divine means to be perfectly sensitive to be perfectly alive so i told that man that there is one way and that is to be dead easier that's what everyone is doing people differ in degrees but they are not in their ways they are doing that you come to your home afraid of your wife you become deaf you don't hear what she says you start reading your newspaper and you put your newspaper in such a way so you don't see her what she says you simply become deaf otherwise you feel how can you live if you listen to her you don't see that she is crying or weeping only when she makes it almost impossible for you then you look and that look is also angry you go to the office you move from the traffic everywhere you have to create a certain deadness around you you think it protects it does not protect it only kills of course you will suffer less but less blessings will come to you less bliss also when you become dead suffering is less because you cannot feel it blissfulness is less because you cannot feel it to a person who is in search of a higher blissfulness he has to be ready to suffer this may look a paradox to you that a man of the status of a buddha the man who is awakened is blissful absolutely and also suffers absolutely of course he is blissful inside and the flowers go on suffering there but he suffers for everybody all around he has to because if you gain sensitivity 
for the blessing to become available to you suffering will become available to you one has to choose if you choose that i am not going to suffer i don't want to suffer then you will not attain to blissfulness also because they both come from the same door this is the problem you can close your door in fear of the enemy but the friend also comes from the same door and if you lock it completely and block it completely so afraid of the enemy then the friend can also cannot come god is not been coming to you doors are closed you may have closed them for the devil but when doors are closed they are closed and one who needs feels the hunger the thirst to meet the divine has to meet the devil also you cannot choose them one has to meet both if you are alive death will be a greater phenomena to you if you live totally you will die totally if you live 2% you will die 2% as life so will be death if the door is open for god it is open for devil also you have heard many stories but i don't feel that you have understood whenever god happens devil happens just before him because whenever the door is open devil rushes first he is always in a hurry god is not in a hurry so jesus when he attained to the final enlightenment before him the devil tempted for 40 days when he was meditating fasting in his aloneness when jesus was disappearing and he was creating place for christ to come devil tempted him those 40 days continuously devil was by the side and he tempted very beautifully and very politically he is the greatest politician all other politicians are his disciples very diplomatically he said right so now you have become the prophet and you know that in the scriptures it is said that whenever god chooses a man and a man becomes a messiah a prophet he becomes infinitely powerful now you are powerful if you want you can jump from this hill and angels will be standing in the valley and if you are really a messiah fulfill whatever is said in the scriptures jump the temptation was great and he was quoting the scriptures devils always quote because to convince you a scripture has to be brought in devils know all the scriptures by heart Jesus laughed and he said you are right but in the same scripture it is said that you should not test God
Then one day when he is feeling very hungry, 30 days of fasting, the devil was sitting always by his side. Before God comes, devil comes. The moment you open the door, he is just sit, standing there. And he is always first in the queue. God always lags behind because he is not in a hurry. Remember, God has eternity to work. Devil has not eternity to work. Moments only. If he loses, loses. And once a man becomes divine, he will not be hurt anymore. So he has to find weak moments. When Jesus is disappearing and Christ has not entered, that gap is the moment where he can enter. Then he said, but it is said in the scriptures that when a man is chosen by God, he can turn even stones into bread. So why you are suffering? And prove this, because the world will be benefited by this. This is diplomacy. He said the world will be benefited by this. It seems that's how devil has convinced your Satya Sai Baba. The world will be benefited by it. Because when you turn stones into bread, people will know that you are the man of God. They will come running and then you can help them. Otherwise, who will come and who will listen to you? Jesus said, you are right. I can tell, but not I. God can turn his stones into bread. But whenever he needs, he will tell me, you need not bother. Why you are taking so much trouble? Whenever you enter into meditation, the first man you will find on the gate, the moment you open the door will be devil. Because in fear of him you have closed the door. And remember, first I will tell you the anecdote, then you will understand. In a shop, they had declared a special concession for Christmas, particularly for ladies' clothes and dresses. So there was a crowd of ladies. One man had come because his wife was ill and she forced him to go because this is not a chance to be last. So he stood gentlemanly for one hour but he couldn't reach to the counter. You know ladies they're away screaming, shouting at each other moving from anywhere, no queue. And the man was thinking of a queue. So he stood. Then when one hour passed and he was nowhere near the counter, then he started sobbing. And shouting and screaming and he started forcibly to enter the crowd and reach the counter. 
One old lady shouted, What? What are you doing? Be a gentleman. The man said, For one hour I have been gentlemanly. Now I must behave like a lady. Enough. And remember, the devil never behaves like a gentleman. He behaves like a lady. He is always first in the queue. And God is a gentleman. It is difficult for him to be first in the queue. And the moment you open the door, the devil enters. And because of his fear, you, you remain closed. But if he cannot enter, God can also. Cannot. When you become vulnerable, you become vulnerable for both God and devil, light and dark, life and death, love and hate. You become available for both opposites. You have chosen not to suffer. So you are closed. You may not be suffering, but your life is a boredom. Because you don't suffer. As much you will suffer if you are open. But then there is no blessing also. The door is closed. No morning. No sun. No moon enters. No sky enters. No fresh air. Everything has gone still. And in fear you are hiding there. It is not a house where you are living. You have already converted it into a grave. Your cities are graveyards. Your house is graves. Your whole way of life is that of a dead man. Courage is needed to be open. Courage to suffer. Because only blessing becomes possible then. Now we should try to understand this beautiful anecdote. Deaf, dumb and blind, Gensa complained to his followers one day, other masters are always carrying on about the necessity of saving everyone. But suppose you meet up with someone who is deaf, dumb and blind, he could not see your gestures, hear your preaching, or for that matter ask questions, Unable to save him, you would prove yourself a worthless Buddhist. Masters generally don't complain. But when they complain, it means something. This is not only Gensa complaining, it is all the masters complaining. But this is their experience. Wherever you move, you find deaf and dumb and blind people. Because the whole society is that way. And how to save them? They cannot see. They cannot hear. They cannot feel. They cannot understand any gesture. If you try too much to save them, they will escape. They will think this man is after something. Wants to exploit me. Or must have some scheme. If you don't do too much for them, 
they feel this man is not for me because he is not caring enough. And whatsoever is done, you cannot understand. This is not Gensa's complaint because enlightened persons never complain for themselves. This complaint is general. It is how it happens. As Jesus feels the same way, Buddha feels the same way. Wherever you go, you have to meet people who are dumb, deaf, blind. You make gestures. They cannot see. Or, even worse, they see something else. You talk to them, they cannot understand. And even worse, they misunderstand. You say something else, they understand something else. Because meaning cannot be given through words. Only words can be communicated. Meaning has to be supplied by the listener. I say a word, I mean one thing. But if 10,000 people are listening, there will be 10,000 meanings. Because each will listen from his mind, from his prejudice, from his concept and philosophy and religion. From his conditioning he will listen and the conditioning will supply the meaning. It is almost difficult, almost impossible. It is just like as if you go to a madhouse and talk to people. How you will feel? That's what Gensa feels. That's the complaint. That's my complaint also. Working with you, I always feel a block comes. Either your eyes are blocked, or your ears are blocked, or your nose is blocked, or your heart is blocked. Somewhere or other something is blocked. The stone-like thing comes. And it is difficult to penetrate. Because if I do too much to penetrate it, you become afraid. That why I am interested so much. If I don't do too much, you feel neglected. This is how an ignorant mind works. Do this and he will misunderstand. Do that and he will misunderstand. One thing is certain, he will misunderstand. Gensa complained to his followers one day, other masters are always carrying on about the necessity of saving everyone. Buddha has said that when you are saved, the only thing to do is save others. When you have attained, the only thing is to do is to spread it to others. Because everybody is struggling. Everybody is on the path, stumbling. Everybody is moving knowingly, unknowingly. And you have attained. Help others. And that is a necessity also, an inner necessity of energies. Because a man who has become enlightened, he will have to live few years. Because enlightenment is not 
a destiny. It is not fixed. It is not cast. When it happens, it is not necessarily at the moment when the body dies. There is no necessity for these two happenings to be together. Rarely it is almost impossible. Because enlightenment is a sudden uncaused phenomenon. You work for it, but it never happens through your work. Your work helps to create the situation, but it happens through something else, that something else is called grace. It is a gift from God. It is not a byproduct of your efforts. They don't cause it. Of course they create a situation. I open the door and the light enters. But the light is a gift from the sun. I cannot create light just by opening the door. Opening of the door is not a cause to it. Non-opening of the door was a hindrance. But opening of the door is not a cause. I cannot cause. If you open the door and it is night, light will not enter. Opening the door is not creating light. But by closing the door you hinder. So all the efforts that you make towards realization are just to open the door. Light comes when it comes. You have to remain with an open door. So whenever it comes, whenever it knocks at your door, it founds you there and the door is open so it can enter. It is always a gift. And it has to be so. Because if you can attain ultimate through your efforts, it will be an absurdity. A limited mind making efforts, how it can find the infinite? A finite mind making efforts, all efforts will be finite. How the infinite can happen through finite efforts? Ignorant mind making efforts, those efforts are in ignorance. How they can change, transform into enlightenment? No, it is not possible. You make efforts, they are necessary. They prepare you, they open the door. But the happening happens when it happens. You remain available. God knocks many times at your door. Sun rises every day. And remember, nowhere it is said, but I would like to say to you, because it will be a help. It is not said. Because if you misunderstand, it can become a hindrance. There is a day for God and there is a night also. If you open the door in the night, the door will remain open, God will not come. There is a day. If you open the door in the right moment, immediately God comes. And it has to be so. Because whole existence has opposites. 
God is also in a rest period when he sleeps if you open the door he will not come there is a moment when he is awake when he is moving it has to be so because every energy moves through two opposites rest and movement and god is infinite energy he has movements and he has a rest that's why a master is needed if you do it on your own you may be working hard and nothing is happening because you are working at the right not at the right moment you are working in the night you open the door and only darkness enters afraid you close it again you open the door and nothing was vast emptiness all around you become afraid you close it again and once you see that emptiness you will never forget it and you will be so afraid that many years it will take for you to gather courage again to open it because once you see the infinite abyss when god is asleep when god is in a rest if you see that moment of infinite negativity and abyss and darkness you will be scared so much that for many years you will not try another attempt and i feel many people they are afraid they are afraid of going into meditation and i know that somewhere in their past life they have done in some efforts and they had glimpse of the abyss at the wrong moment they may not know it but unconsciously it is there so whenever they reach near the door and they put their hand on the knob and the door becomes possible to be opened they become afraid they come back exactly from that moment run back they don't open it a unconscious fear grips it has to be so because you for many many lives you have been struggling and striving hence the necessity of a master who knows who has attained and who knows the right moment he will tell you to make all the efforts when it is night of the god and he will not tell you to open the door he will tell you prepare in the night prepare as much as you can be ready and when the morning strikes and the first rays have entered he will tell you to open the door sudden illumination because then it is totally different because when the light is there it is totally different when god is awake then the emptiness is not there it is a fulfillment it is perfect fulfillment everything is full more than full it is overflowing perfection it is the peak not the abyss 
If you open the door in the wrong moment, it is the abyss. You will get dizzy. So dizzy that for lives together, you will never attempt it. But only one who knows, only one who has become one with the gods, only one who knows when the night is and when the day is, because now they happen in him also. He has a night, he has a day. Hindus had a glimpse about this. And they had a beautiful hypothesis. They say, they call it Brahma's day, God's day. When the creation is there, they call it God's day. But the creation has a time limit. Then the creation dissolves and it starts Brahma's night, God's night. Twelve hours of Brahma's day is the whole creation. Then, tired, the whole existence disappears into non-existence. Then for twelve hours, it is Brahma's night. For us, it is millions and millions of years. For the God, it is twelve hours, his day. Christians also had a theory at hypothesis, because I call all religious theories hypothesis. Nothing is proved. Nothing can be proved by the very nature of the thing. They say God created the world in six days, then on the seventh day He rested. That's why Sunday is a rest day, holiday. Six days He created and on the seventh day He rested. They had a glimpse that even God must rest. These both are hypotheses, both beautiful. But you have to find the essence of it. The essence is that every day God has also a night and a day. And every day there is a right moment to enter and a wrong moment. In the wrong moment you will be against the wall. In the right moment you simply enter. Because of this, those who have knocked at the wrong moment, they say, to attain enlightenment is a gradual thing. By degrees you attain it. And those who have come in the right moment at the door, they say, enlightenment is sudden. It happens in a moment. A master is needed to decide when is the right moment. It is reported that Vivekananda started his disciplehood. And one day, he attained the first glimpse. You can call it Satori the Zen word for Samadhi, because it is a glimpse, not a permanent thing. It is just like clouds are not there in the sky. The sky is clear, and from a distance of thousand miles, 
you have a glimpse of the Everest in all its glory. But then the sky is cloudy and the cloudy and the glimpse is again lost. But it is not attainment. You have not reached to the Everest. You have not reached to the top. From thousands of miles you had a glimpse, that is Satori. Satori is glimpse of Samadhi. Vivekananda had a Satori. In Ramakrishna's ashram, there were many people. Many people were working. One man, his name was Kalu, a very simple man, a very innocent man. He was also working in his own way. And Ramakrishna accepted every way. He was a rare man. He accepted every technique, every method. And he said everybody has to find his own way. And there is no super way. And it is good, otherwise there will be so much traffic jam. So it is good. You can walk on your own path. Nobody else is there to create any trouble or make it crowded. The Kalu was a very simple man. He had at least 100 guards. As Hindus are lovers of many guards, one is not enough for them. So they will make their worship place, this guard, that guard, whatsoever they can find. Even calendars they will put there. Nothing wrong in it. If you love it, it's okay. But Vivekananda was a logician, a very keen intellect. He always argued with this innocent man and he could not answer. He said, why this nonsense? One is enough and the scriptures say that he is one. So why these 101 gods and all sorts of shapes? And Kalu had to work with these guards at least three hours in the morning and three in the evening. The whole day was gone. Morning prayer because with every guard he has to do. Howsoever fast you do. Three hours in the morning, three in the evening. But he was a very, very silent man. And Ramakrishna loved him. He always argued Vivekananda through these guards. When he had a glimpse of Satori, he felt very powerful. Suddenly the idea came to him that in this power, if I simply send a telepathic message to Kalu, he was worshipping in his room. This was time for worship. That take all your gods to Ganges and throw them. It will happen. He simply sent a message. Kalu was really a simple man. He gathered all his gods into a bed seat and was carrying them towards the Ganges. From the Ganges, Ramakrishna was coming. He said, wait, this is not you who are going to throw them. Go back to your room and put them in their place. But Kalu said, enough, finished. Ramakrishna said, wait and come with me. He knocked at Vivekananda's door 
Vivekananda opened the door and Ramakrishna said, What you have done? This is not good. And this is not the right moment for you. So I will take your key of meditation and will keep with me. When the right moment comes, I will give it to you. And for his whole life, Vivekananda tried in millions of ways to attain that glimpse he couldn't get again. Just before he dies, three days before, in the dream Ramakrishna appeared and he gave him the key. He said, now you can take the key, now the right moment is there and you can open the door. And next day in the morning, he had again the second glimpse. A master knows when is the right time. He helps you, prepares you for the right moment. And he will give you the key when the right moment is there. You simply open the doors and the divine enters. Because if you open the door and darkness enters, it will look like death, not like life. Nothing is wrong in it, but you will get scared. And you can get so scared that you may carry that fear forever and ever. Buddha says that whenever you attain, start helping others. Because all your energies which were moving into desire, now that door, that door is finished. That travel is no more that trip is no more. All your energies which were moving in desiring, vasana, now let them become compassion. Let them become karuna. And there is only one compassion. How to help the other to attain the ultimate. Because there is nothing else to be attained. All else is rubbish. Only the Divine is worth attaining. If you attain that, you have attained all. If you miss that, you have missed all. When one becomes enlightened, he lives for few years before the body completes its circle. Buddha lived for forty years because the body has got a momentum. From the parents, the body has got chromosomes. From his own past karmas, the body has got a life circle. He was to live eighty years, enlightened or not. If enlightenment becomes possible, or if it happens, then too he has to live eighty years. It happened near about when he was forty. He lived forty years more. What to do with the energies now? Now no desire is there, no ambition. And you have infinite energies flowing. What to do with those energies? They can be moved into compassion. Now there is no need for meditation also. You have attained. You are overflowing, now you can share. Now you can share with millions. You can give it to them. So Buddha has made it a part of his basic teaching 
he calls the first part dhyana, meditation, and the second part pragya, wisdom, attainment. Through meditation you reach to pragya. This is your inward phenomena. Two parts. You meditated, now you have attained. This is inner phenomena. Not to balance, now it, to balance it with the outer. Because a man of enlightenment is always balanced. Outside, when there was no meditation inside, there was desire. Now there is wisdom inside. There should be compassion. The outer energies should become compassion. The inner energies have become wisdom, enlightenment. Enlightenment inside, compassion outside. A perfect man is always balanced. So he says, go on and on and help people to save. Gensa complained. But how to do it? And if you come, to somebody who is deaf, dumb and blind and you come almost always across such people because only they are there. You don't come across a Buddha and Buddha doesn't need you. You come across an ignorant person not knowing what to do, not knowing where to move, how to help him. Troubled by these words, one of Gensa's disciples went to consult the master, Unmon. Unmon was a brother's disciple to Gensa. They were disciples to the same teacher, Seppo. So what to do? This man has said, Gensa, such a troubling thing, how to help people. He went to Unmon. Unmon is a very famous master. Gensa was a very silent one. But Unmon is very famous. He had thousands of disciples. And he had many devices to work with them. And he was a man like Gurjiev. He will create situations. Because only situations can help. If words can't help, you are dumb. You are deaf. Words can't help. If you are blind, gestures are useless. Then what to do? Only situations can help. If you are blind, I cannot show you the door just by gesture because you can't see. I cannot tell you the, about the door because you are deaf and you cannot listen. Really you cannot even ask the question where is the door because you are dumb. And what to do? I have to create a situation. I can take hold of 
your hand. I can take you by my hand towards the door. No gestures, no words. I have to do something. I have to create a situation in which the dumb, the deaf and the blind can move. Troubled by these words, one of Gensa's disciples went to consult to Master Unmon because he knew well that Gensa won't answer much. He was not a man of many words and he never created any situation. He will say things and he will keep quiet. People had to go to other masters to ask what he means. He was a, a different type, a silent type of man like Raman Maharishi. He will not say much. Unman was like Gurjev. He was also not a man of words, but he will create situations. And he will use words to create situations only. He went to consult the master Unman, who like Gensa was a disciple of Seppo. And Seppo was totally different from both. It is said he never spoke. He completely remained silent. So there was no problem for him. He never came across a deaf, dumb and blind man. Because he never moved. Only people who were in search, only people whose eyes were slightly opening, only people who were deaf, but if you say loudly, they can listen. Who were dumb, but if you force a situation, they can say something. So, that's why many people became enlightened near Seppo. Because only those who were just borderline cases, they will reach to him. This Unmon and this Gensa, these two disciples became enlightened with Seppo, a totally silent man. He will simply sit and sit and do nothing. If you want to learn, you be with him. If you don't want, you can go. He will not say anything. You have to learn, he will not teach. He was not a teacher, but many people learned. He went to Munmon. Bo, please, said Munmon. He started immediately. Because people who are enlightened, they don't waste time. They simply jump to the point immediately. Go please, said Unmon. The monk, though taken by surprise, because this is no way. You don't order anybody to go. And there is no need if somebody wants to go, he will go. If he wants to pay you respect, he will pay. If not, then if not, then not. What type of man is this? Unmon, he says, Bo, please. Before he has asked anything, he has just entered his room, he says, Bo, please. The monk, though taken by surprise, obeyed the master's command. Then straightened up 
in expectation of having his query answered. But instead of an answer, he got a staff thrust at him. He leapt back. Well, said Unmon, you are not blind. Now approach. He said, you can see my staff. So one thing is certain, you are not blind. Now approach. The monk did as he was bidden. Good, said Unmon. So you are not deaf either. You can listen. I say approach. And you approach. Well, understand? Understand what, sir, said the monk. What he is saying? He says, well, understand? Understand what, said the monk. Ah, you are not dumb either, said Unmon. On hearing these words, the monk awoke as if from a deep sleep. What happened? What Unmon is pointing to? First, he is saying that if it is not a problem to you, why be buried? There are people who come to me. A very rich man came. One of the richest in India. And he said, what about poor people? How you will help poor people? So I told him, if you are a poor person, then ask. Otherwise, let the poor ask. How it is a problem to you? You are not poor. So why create a problem out of it? Once Mullah Nasuddin's child asked him, I was present. And the child was working very strenuously, of course, grumbling on his homework. And then suddenly he looked at Nasuddin and said, Gidat, what is this education stiff? Of what use all this education stuff is anyway? Nasuddin said, Well, there is nothing like education. It makes you capable for worrying about everybody else in the world than you. There is nothing like education. All your education simply makes you capable of worrying about situations everywhere in the world, about people except you, about all the troubles that are in the world. They have always been there. They will always be there. It is not because you are here that trouble are there. You were not, they were there, you will not be soon and they will remain there.
and they change their colors, but they remain. The very scheme of universe is such that it seems through trouble and misery something is growing. It seems to be a step. It seems to be a necessary schooling, a discipline. The first thing Unmon is pointing is that you are neither blind, nor dumb, nor deaf. Then why you be concerned? And why you be troubled? You have eyes, why waste time thinking about blind men? Why not look at your master? Because blind men will be there always. Your master will not be there always. And you can think and worry about blind and deaf people, how to save them. But the man who can save you will not be there forever. And you be concerned about yourself. My experience is also that people are concerned about others. Even exactly the same question once one man brought to me. He said, we can listen to you, but what about those who can't come to listen? But what to do? We can read you, he said, but what about those who cannot read? Irrelevant they appear, absolutely irrelevant they are. Because why you are worried? And if you are worried in such a way, then never you can become enlightened. Because a person who goes on wasting, dissipating his energy about others, never looks at himself. This is the trick of the mind to escape from oneself. You go on thinking about others and you feel very good because you are worrying about others. You are a great social reformer, are a revolutionary, are a utopian, a great servant of the society. But what you are doing, you are simply avoiding the basic question. It is with you that something has to be done. You forget the whole society and only then something can be done to you. And when you are saved, you can start saving others. But before that, Please don't think it is impossible. Before you are healed, you cannot heal anyone. Before you are filled with light, you cannot help anyone to enkindle his own heart. Impossible. Only a lighted flame can help somebody. First become a lighted flame. This is the first point. And the second point is, Unmon created a situation. He could have said this, but he is not saying. He is creating a situation. Because only in a situation, you are totally involved. If I say something, only intellect is involved. You listen from the head. But your legs, your heart, 
your kidneys, your liver, your totality is not involved. But when Unmun got a staff thrust at him, he jumped totally. Then it was a total action. Then not only the head, then the legs, the kidney, the liver, the whole of him jumped. That's the whole point of my meditation techniques, the whole of you. have to shake, jump, the whole of you has to dance, the whole of you has to move. If you simply sit with closed eyes, only the head, you can go on and on inside the head. And there are many people who go on sitting for years together, just with closed eyes, repeating a mantra. But mantra moves in the head, your totality is not involved. And your totality is involved in existence. Your head is as much in God as your liver and kidney and your feet. You are totally in Him. And just the head cannot realize this. Anything intensely active will be helpful. Inactive you can simply go on rumbling inside the mind. And they have no end. The dreams, the thoughts, they have no end. They go on infinitely. Kabir has said, there are two infinites in the world. One is ignorance, another is God. Two things are endless. God is endless and ignorance. You can go on repeating a mantra. It will not help. Unless your whole life becomes a mantra, unless you are completely involved in it, no holding back, no division. That's what Umon did. He got a start thrust at him. He leapt back. Well, said Umon, you are not blind. Now approach. The man did as he was bidden, good, you are not deaf either. What he is pointing? He is pointing, you can understand, why waste time? Then he asked, understand? Well, understand? Unman was finished. The situation was complete. But the disciple was yet not ready, yet not got the point. He asked, understand what, sir? The whole thing was there now. He has said whatsoever was to be said. And he has created a situation where thoughts were not. When somebody pushes a staff at you, you jump without thought. If you think, you cannot jump. Because by the time you have decided to jump, the staff would have hit you. There is no time. Mind needs time. 
thinking needs time. When somebody pushes their stuff at you, or suddenly you find on a path a snake, you jump. You don't think about it. You don't make a logical syllogism. You don't say, here is a snake. A snake is dangerous. Death is possible. I must jump. You don't follow Aristotle there. You simply put aside all Aristotles. You jump. You don't care what Aristotle says. You are illogical. But whenever you are illogical, you are total. That's what Umun has said. You jump totally. If you can jump totally, why not meditate totally? And when a stop is thrust at you, you jump without caring about the world. You don't ask, it's okay. But what about a blind man? If you push a staff, how it will help a blind man? You don't ask a question, you simply jump. You simply avoid. In that moment the whole world disappears, only you are the problem. And the problem is there, you have to solve it and come out of it. Understand? That's Unmun asked. The point is complete. Understand what sir said the monk, he has still not got it. Ah, you are not dumb either, you can speak also. On hearing these words, the monk awoke as from a deep sleep. The whole situation, non-verbal, illogical, total, as if someone has shaken him out of his sleep, he awoke. For a moment everything became clear. For a moment there was lightning. There was no darkness. Satori happened. Now the taste is there. Now this disciple can follow the taste. Now he has known. He cannot forget it ever. Now the search will be totally different. Before it, it was a search of something unknown. And how can you search for unknown? And how you can put your total life for it? But now it will be total. Now it is not something unknown. A glimpse has been given to him. He has tasted the ocean. Maybe out of a teacup. But the taste is the same. Now he knows. It was very really small experience. A window opened. But the holy sky was there. Now he can move out of the house. Come under the sky. And live in it. Now he knows that the question is individual. Don't make it social. The question is you. And when I say you, I mean you. Each individually. Not you as a group.
not you as a society. When I mean you, I mean simply you, the individual. And the trick of the mind is to make it social. The mind wants to worry about others. Then, then there is no problem. You can postpone your own problem. That's how you have been wasting your lives for many lives. Don't waste it anymore. I have been pushing the staffs. Subtle ones than unmoon. But if you don't listen to me, I may have to find grasser things. Don't think about others for solve your problem. Then you will have the clarity to help others also. And nobody can help unless one is enlightened himself in a footage.